Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Marsha Van Weinsberg. I'm a business coach, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will use the tips, tools, and strategies used by myself and our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in our lives. When we take radical responsibility of our choices, create boundaries, grow our courage, and practice self-care, and letting go of what isn't ours to control, we can completely change our stories. When we take full ownership of our stories, we take back our personal power, and this allows us to impact, serve, and support others by showing them that they are not alone and helping them find freedom from their stories. When you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. And today we are speaking with coach, executive coach and sales trainer, George Wang. George is a board certified executive coach, certified master practitioner of NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, and certified hypnotherapist. George dives into the story of where he was diagnosed with a very rare kidney disease in his young teens and how this then led to another discovery of a large tumor on his right lung which he had surgically removed with along with two thirds of his lung. This then led into so much of his story as he shares how he became obsessed with learning more about behavior and personal growth and development and how he really dove into sales and building businesses and what that looks like. So today he helps entrepreneurs, business owners, and corporate executives to connect with market to sell and serve customers in an ethical manner using psychological behavioral principles. He believes that businesses should always be a win-win Welcome and that the, the customer should be more. So thrilled this is to how business is done and is true. Hi, and Marcia, most thank you so much for form. having me. And uh, this conversation really goes a lot of different directions. And I, he has so much knowledge Absolutely. to share. We so have I been love every part of it. Podcast and I know you're going to take us, which I love. So you've been on my combined show. I've been on yours and I am excited to have you here today. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. I'm really, really happy to be here, honestly. And I'm really honored. I, I, you know, you're right. We have been circling around with some podcasts with each yeah. other and it's just been fantastic um, getting to know you more and uh, uh, being on your shows as well. Love it. So tell people where you are from. So uh, my name is Coach George Wang and I am from, I guess I live now in the Silicon Valley area of California, um, but I grew up in New York City. So I'm a, a New York boy at heart, grew up in Queens, New York. And through a series of fortunate slash unfortunate incidents, I found my way over to California, not by my own choice, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, but I had to own the choice afterwards, I guess, right? <laughs> That's the name of this podcast. That's exactly where it can go. Yes. So this part was not my own choice, but it kind of was, though. I guess the mistakes I made in New York that led me here are part of uh, the choices I made that that forced me out of New York, but it ended up being a blessing in disguise. So I grew up in New York City and I ended up uh, in California when I was 16 years old. Um, Took a nine year break when I was living in Las Vegas for about nine years as a professional gambler uh, before making my way back here in 2015. And I've been uh, loving it ever since. I was going to say, if there's a place you're going to end up, I mean, I would think that that part of California would be nice to be in. Uh, To be honest, yes, this is a great place. Yes, it's great. It's not entirely my personality, if I'm being perfectly honest. Yeah. It's not. uh, I I love the Bay Area. I love a lot of people like it. 
if people from the Bay Area are listening to this and know me, they're going to think I'm talking so much crap about the Bay Area, which I'm not, right? Like, I love it. I love the technology. I love being in the midst of everything that's technology-based. In general, though, I like places with a little bit more liveliness to it. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, I don't want to call it a sleepy town, but people go to sleep early here. <laughs> and uh, I, I like uh, 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 I like living in Vegas the most, to be honest. I love the nightlife in Vegas. I love, at, you know, I, I don't stay up late anymore, but I like being at like awake at midnight. And if I wanted sushi, I could get sushi. Or if I wanted Korean barbecue, I could get Korean barbecue. If I'm up at midnight, which I'm not very often, to be honest, but if I was up, <laughs> At midnight right now, my only choice is Denny's. So. Ah, Denny's, Denny's. Uh, yes. I was in Vegas a few years, I guess it'd be six years ago. And that was such an eye opener for how, like it, at all hours of the day. Now I'm such a morning person. So it's funny because I would get up and go for a good walk in the morning. It was like yeah. quiet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that five, six o'clock morning was quiet. Yeah, I actually, I actually think it's really fun being in Vegas up at five or six in the morning because you, it is very quiet, but you can see the people doing the walk of shame, right? Yes, you like, can. like girls walking with their heels in their hands, like guys like slowing around. It's uh, kind of funny to watch. <laughs> oh, one day travel will happen again for us. Yeah. Um, if you, you are a reader, right? I am a reader. Yeah. Can you tell us one, a book that has been the most impactful for you? Okay. So there's, um, Yes, I can. De- I can definitely pinpoint the single book that's the most impactful for me, and that single book was "Rich Dad, Poor Dad." Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm saying it's the most impactful book for me is because it's the first book I ever read on my own volition. Um, before I turned 19 years old, I never read a book unless I was forced to read a book, mm-hmm. which means I didn't actually. Read I was just going to say. I, 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 <laughs> Yeah. No, it was cliff notes. It was, uh, you know, just picking things up in class and school. Right. But, but yeah. that was it. Uh, uh, someone introduced me to the book, rich dad, poor dad, when I was 19 years old. And I had, uh, by this time I was, uh, quote unquote in business. I was throwing rays for a couple of years at this point. And, uh, somebody handed me this book and like, you should really read this book. Cause it seems to fit your lifestyle pretty well. I, I didn't, I was, I, like I did really well in high school. Like I was one of those kids who like slept in class and still got an A to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't particularly like it. I thought it was completely useless going to high school. Like all throughout high school, I thought this was useless. I don't, never thought I'd use it. Um, but I started throwing raves, uh, my senior year of high school. And then when I was in my first year of college, someone handed me this book and like, you should read it. And that's the actual first book I read uh, by my own choice. And in that book, the thing that he really, really stressed was lifelong learning. And so that's the thing that really triggered me. And so it's because of that book that I went on to read many, many other books. And to this date, I can't even count. Like I know last year I I do, I use Goodreads to track my reading. And I know last year I read like 66 books. Oh, wow. yeah, I, I read a lot now. This year is a little bit less, a little bit less. Uh, but but the last couple of years before that, I've been averaging like fifty to sixty a year. That's impressive. That is impressive. Do you have a routine that you do most of your reading in the morning, or do you have when do you do your reading? It's it's most, and then when I say read, now it's like switch to audiobooks mostly. Yeah, same. Um, but I do read uh, uh, mostly. So okay, so. I have uh, I read both physical and audiobooks, right? My uh, my physical book goal is about twelve to fourteen books a year, and that I normally do in the morning time as part of my normal uh, morning routine. And then the audiobooks are just uh, anytime I'm doing something that doesn't need my brain, like yeah. vacuuming or like washing the dishes or like driving or something like that. Uh, I'm I'm uh, so I pretty much always have uh, an audiobook or a podcast like plugged into my ears. Same. When I'm doing something mindless, uh, because I think it's super important. I'm a big fan of what Tony Robbins calls net time, which is no extra time. Meaning when you're completely doing something that's mindless, 
then let's let's get some value out of this time because that's a big thing for me to be honest. Uh, that uh, time is like I don't I don't know what to call it, but for me, time was been like a limiting belief for a long time because I always thought we didn't have enough of it mm-hmm. in this world. That's why to this day I still don't really like getting massages. Like I, I don't like going to a spa and like laying on a table and not doing anything for an hour because I think about all the other things I could be doing at the time. Uh, That's a really interesting way to say it, to think of time as a limiting belief. I hadn't thought of it that way before. That's uh, it. That, And I can see that cycle. And many times I get worked up and thinking I, I don't have enough to finish what I need to. So part of my journaling every day, it might sound silly, is like you have more than enough time for everything that's sure. important to do because it just keeps me out of spiral. And really, when you stop and look back some days, it's like, okay, I did get a lot done. Like I can, we can yeah. get a lot done. Right, right. Actually, that's actually why I journal too now, because now what I have to do at the end of my days is write down all the stuff that I did. Mm-hmm. So I remind myself that I actually did something. So you journal in the morning and at night? I do. Yeah, that's yeah. my uh, that's that's my opening and closing ritual for the day. Love that. So I open my day by uh, journaling. And that means like, that's like turning on Coach George Wang, because I have different personas in my life, mm-hmm. right? And one of my personas is Coach George Wang. And so I have certain things that I do to turn it on. And so I journal in the morning and I put on this necklace that uh, no one listening can hear, but I, uh, I, I'm wearing a necklace right now mm-hmm. and I journal and then this necklace goes on. And when those two things happens, coach George Wang is turned on and then I do my work. I kind of push through the day. I do whatever I got to do. And then at the end of the day, I'll do my nighttime journaling. And then this necklace comes off and then coach George Wang gets turned off and then just George Wang, the person gets turned on. And that's why I, I love to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I actually love that, that concept, the thought and how to do that, because it's especially now working in the house. Like I have to practice a boundary that like the computer's turned off. Yeah. It's down. The books are away. Like it becomes almost a ritual of like, it's yeah. we're off now because yeah. if I don't, I can mm-hmm. easily go back into oh one more thing or one more right. thing. Yeah. And I'm glad you used the word rituals, actually, because I think that's so important. Rituals are really, really important. And I don't think people put enough value on rituals. Like I have a lot of friends who are not getting married because they're like, oh, it's the same thing. We're just, you know, we're in love and we're living together. Like, yes, but there's something important, something like significant about doing the ritual, the practice, the public, you know, declaration of love for each other Mm -hmm. uh, and going through this ritual, which is so I have a morning ritual and a nighttime ritual that turns on and off this persona of Coach George Wang. And uh, whatever within that container, it's like, I'm just, I'm like focused. And at the end of the day, I turn off that container and then I go into just my, my George Wang, the husband, George Wang, the son type of mode. Love that. Absolutely love that. Thank you for sharing that. Cause that's really sparked something in me. And I've been working on, you know, really, we all like, I, what was I reading something the other day? Your morning routine is completely yeah. impacted and decided by what your nighttime routine is, right? Yeah. So you have to have that ritual of a nighttime routine. So I literally have like a tea at the same time. I have sure. a book. I literally am going to bed. My thumb goes off at a certain time. Yeah. But I like that aspect of journaling in a sense to just take a look at the day because it just, again, it's it just sandwiches on both ends of what you've done and what you've gotten done. Right. Yeah. Super important. I love, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I do too. You talk about coaching and what kind of coaching do you love to do the most? So that's a good question. Cause the evolution of my coaching has changed a lot mm-hmm. over time. Uh, I started with, um, it kind of went full circle to be honest. I started, uh, uh, mostly with executive sales training and sales coaching. 
And then I kind of did this loop-de-loop where for a while I, I decided to leave because uh, this is when I was working more in, in the technology field than corporate. Um, and I was doing a lot of coaching within companies and helping like other companies to design sales training systems, sales systems, things like that. And I decided I want their branch away and get away from corporate. So then I opened up a uh, hypnotherapy practice and I was working with uh, trauma for a while. I worked with, uh, I did stop smoking, smoking cessation for some time, which uh, wasn't my passion at all. I don't think smoking is, let me say this. I don't think smoking is a good uh, uh, habit. And if you're a smoker, I don't think you should do it. But at the same time, it's not like my mission, right? It's never been like my purpose to, uh, to, yeah, yeah. to have someone uh, uh, stop smoking. Uh, and then, and then somehow I circled back because I realized the thing I really, really do love is helping other people get what they want. And I know that a lot of people can't get what they want unless they're able to sell their product. When I say other people, I mostly work with entrepreneurs and, and uh, uh, executives who, whose income is not dictated by the amount of hours that they work. Right? There's a concept. Yes. Yes, exactly. Right. And that, so their income is dictated by the value that they produce in the world, but they can produce all of this value. But if they can't execute on it and get into the hands of people who can actually use the product or use the service, then nobody wins. Right, they're they're both on the losing end, and now you have a person who has this great idea, has a great concept, but is hungry, right, and can't can't feed the family and can't uh, you know pay for their children's education because they can't get that beautiful product or that beautiful service out into the world, and they're the people I love to help the most. I, I love helping them go from you know like not making any sales to making their first sale to making 10, 20, 30, 40 sales until having a system where they can replicate it over and over again and actually know how much money is going to come in. I love that. So as you take, as you talk about that, I mean, a lot of people, um, you have to work through some of those limiting beliefs or those barriers that are there, but you're also talking about the systems that need to come in place for when somebody wants to build a business that doesn't burn them out in a sense right. that is that part of what you refer to as systems? Yeah, kind of. And, and when I, yes, part of it is so that they don't burn out. Part of it is so that they have something that they can repeat because most people, I think most people, when they think about selling is they think it's like, I'm just talking to somebody and then maybe they'll like me and then maybe they'll, they'll buy what I buy, what I have to sell, but that's not necessarily true, right? Like depending on your product, your service, there's going to be a very, and for every company, every product, every type of uh, customer is going to be a little, is going to be different, but there's always, once you figure it out, there's a very specific set of questions that you're going to need to ask of your prospects to figure out if they're the right fit for your customer. I'm sorry, for your product. Mm -hmm. And then once you have this down, then you just repeat this over and over again. And you keep asking the same questions uh, with obviously some finesse in between. And then that's how you can qualify and that's how you can systemize it. So you're not just like guessing every time, right? You're not like, oh, what do I say now? What do I say then? Mm -hmm. um, because what happens is like every, no matter what it is, like every single product out there is meant for a certain person. It's not meant for everybody, mm -hmm. uh, but it's meant for a certain type of person. And when you can figure out this certain type of person's behavioral profile, then you could put a system behind it so that it, it, it matches their behavioral profile and then you can help them, right? You can serve them with your product or service, whatever it is. So that. it's creating that system that they can repeat over and over again. And the same thing to your point about them not burning out is that once you have the system, you can teach somebody else the system. But if you don't have a system, then you are going to burn out because you're going to be the one who has to do it every single time and then figure things out on, on the cuff. And then just, you know, it's like climbing, you know, Mount Everest five times, but each time taking a different route that no one's ever taken. 
What a great analogy. Yeah. <laughs> analogies. That is such a great, no, it really is because I, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs from a different standpoint where they're learning how to share their story. They're building their podcasts, they're speaking, they're coaching, all these things. But so many times they'll be like, well, I don't need systems yet, or I don't yeah. need this yet. And I'm like, I don't think you actually, there's ever a time where like, you're not going to go wrong by starting to create right. some things early and yeah, so that we can continue and sustain with what we're doing. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. I think I think it's uh, anybody who is an entrepreneur, especially if you, you do want to start. And that's the thing, right? Because most entrepreneurs usually are creators, right? They're not the people who like systems. So most of the time, you're going to have something have to get something like a COO or something like that, like to 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 figure out the systems for you. Um, but it's super important because it, it's literally not possible to grow. Right or at least scale, right? Yeah. You, you're always going to hit this tipping point where you can only put so much effort out, but you can't do anymore. And that's, I think, why most people get hung up mm-hmm. is because they just don't know what to do and they just get stuck. Right? They're bouncing from wall to wall, side to side, and again, climbing Mount Everest five times with a with a different route each different time. Route. What, why would you do a different route each time? I love that. Yeah. Um, what led you this way? Like, where did you? What led you into this path to be so passionate um, about sales and helping entrepreneurs? So this 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 actually very much dates back to like this founding story I was talking about when I was in uh, New York and this whole thing. Um, you know, when I was young, I know I've told you the story before, but when I was very young, I I was diagnosed with a kidney disease, uh, which was uh, supposed to be chronic. I was supposed to, I was 14 years old when I was diagnosed with this kidney disease, and I was supposed to uh, my kidneys were supposed to sit, fail by the time I was 24. I'm 39 now, so screw you, doctors who told me that. Like you guys are probably dead, and I'm still alive. So I love that you proved them wrong. Yeah, uh, but 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 yeah. So so my at 14, I was diagnosed with the kidney disease, and then um, when I was 15, <clears throat> excuse me, there was a a rather large tumor found on my lung, and um, uh, this tumor was about the size of an egg. So they had to do a lobectomy, which means they removed two thirds of my right lung with, uh, along with the tumor itself. And so what happened to me during this process is, you know, when I was in the hospital with, 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 well, first with McKinney disease and then with, with the lung thing, I had like this outpouring of love, like friends kept coming to visit me every single day friends would come visit me. Now, I'm not sure if it's actually because they cared about me or it's because it was an easy way to cut school without getting in trouble for it. Like, I'm not sure, right? It could go, I could go either way on this one, right? Because they always came during school hours and nobody seemed to care, right? Yeah. If you're visiting George, it was fine, right? All good. So, so I don't know why they were coming, but either way, like I felt the love, right? I felt, felt the compassion. So this got me obsessed with human behavior and understanding like how humans connect with each other. And, and so... What happened after that was I just, I really got obsessed with this topic and I wanted to go meet other people. And I, I, I started wanting to help other people, uh, 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 be able to connect with other people better. Um, uh, to be fair, like I didn't make some good choices during that time when I was in New York. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I was selling drugs. Like, yeah, I was entrepreneurial from very young, but uh, my first product of choice was weed, ecstasy, and a little bit of cocaine on the side. Uh, uh, was was my first uh, product product of yeah. choice, I guess. Um, <laughs> hey, you know what? I love. Okay, first off, I love your vulnerability and how honest you are because I think this is part of the story, and I I think it's I appreciate you doing this. So yes, oh, thank you. Yeah, well, those are the choices that got me kicked out of New York because eventually I got uh, I dropped out of school to do this, mm-hmm. and eventually the the school sent out like a truant officer like going door to door in my neighborhood to find me. 
And eventually they found me and they essentially gave me an ultimatum. I could either uh, go back to, I could go to California where my mother was uh, because I didn't have a legal guardian at the time. So my choices are go to California, go back to school next semester, we'll turn a blind eye. Or option three is we're going to call child services, social services, and it's going to be a big headache. So I chose option two, go back to school. Uh, on the first day of school, I got jumped on the way in. And so I never actually made, and I got like, like I was on blood thinners at the time to deal with the blood clot coming out of my left kidney. Oh, and, gosh. and the guy who jumped me got like one really good shot on my, I think it was my, uh, my left eye. Mm-hmm. And because I was on blood thinners at the time, the bruise just wouldn't stop growing. And it was like, I had this black and blue mark over ah. like half my face. Oh. And, uh, and so, uh, but, but those are the choices I made and that led me over to, uh, California, but which, which is obviously a blessing in disguise because once I was here, then the doors really opened up for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was here for maybe a couple of years and I started my first business, uh, which was my first legal ish. Let's go, let's go legal ish, right? <laughs> business, uh, which was throwing raves, right? Did I have a business license? Yeah. Did I pay taxes? Yeah. Was it all cash? Yeah. Uh, but I use like legitimate buildings, right? I, I, I held, yeah. I held, I didn't do like, I didn't break into somebody's warehouse and throw, throw a rave. I used, uh, legitimate buildings, legitimate halls, places where I was legally allowed technically to, to do an event like this. And, uh, um, so, but when I was, when I was doing this business, I really want to learn more and more about people. And that's when I got introduced to neurolinguistic programming. That's when I got introduced to Tony Robbins, who I'd never met the man, but I consider him a mentor because, you know, I, I, I studied him. I studied the fact that he studied uh, neurolinguistic programming, hypnosis. He studied gestalt therapy and I didn't, I, I studied his work, but I wanted to study the work that he studied mm-hmm. and I got hell bent on it. I got super hell bent on it. And then I got my first job in sales and I realized I actually really liked it. Like I really liked it. And one of the things I actually really, really liked was when you have somebody in front of you who's kind of on the fence. And here's the thing, right? Like people are scared about being pushy, right? Like a lot of you, I don't want to be pushy, right? So you're only pushy if you're trying to like push your own reasons for wanting something onto the other person. Like if I think that, you know, I was selling gym memberships at the time. And if I think that you should come to the gym for this reason, but your reason is something different, I keep pushing it on you. Then it seems pushy, right? Um, Aggressiveness is not the same as being pushy, in my opinion, right? Because I can aggressively want what's best for the person as long as I'm using their reasoning for it. And one of the things I loved was when somebody was really on the fence and I had to be slightly aggressive, not pushy. I wasn't like the used car smell that was trying to shove it down your throat, but I wouldn't give up the first time they said no, right? Mm-hmm. I, would, I would try something else and try something else and try another, try something else until I got to the yes. And the best feeling is when they come back like a month later, two months later, when like, you know, like I almost wasn't going to do it, but I'm glad, you know, you just pushed me a little bit more because it's the best decision I ever made in my life. Wow. That's, it's so, um, that's so powerful to share that from that standpoint, because people do have something stuck in their mind as to sales are pushy, but if you are not offering, if you're offering them something that they don't need, right? then yes, like yeah. if it's yes. Or if the ulterior motive is to support you, but not the actual customer, then mm-hmm. yes, that's not right. right. Yeah. Right. And I'm I'm a big believer in ethical selling. I I think you have to sell ethically, but I have I have like a slightly different, I don't know if it's different, but I have my own brand of like ethics when it comes to selling. And one of the examples I use is like if a man is walking, or man or woman, right? If somebody is walking through the desert and they've got to go another 10 miles to their aunt's house and you sell water, mm-hmm. and someone comes into your store and says, I would like to buy eight ounces of water. 
And it's, it's a done deal. It's a done deal, right? I would like to buy eight ounces of water. Most people say, sure, sure, sure. Here, take the eight ounces. That is super unethical in my opinion, mm-hmm. right? To me, that is not ethical because this person, you know that this person has another 10 miles to walk in the desert, right? which means that any given time, they could have a heat stroke. I think I read a stat once, and I think it's something like in, in over 100 degrees, you lose 16 ounces of water every 20 or 30 minutes or something. It's like really that. high. Yes. Yeah. Really, really high. So this eight ounces of water is going to last this person like a half a mile, mm-hmm. right? And they still have another 11 miles left. So if somebody comes into your store and says, I'd like to buy eight ounces of water, your first job is to ask them, why? <laughs> like, what do you need this water for? Not to just hand it to them because mm-hmm. then they're going to say like, oh, I'm going to my aunt's house. Where's your aunt's house? Oh, it's about 12 miles down the road this way. Do you realize it's hundred degrees outside, <laughs> right? And then once you have this information, that's why I say you always got to ask questions first. You got to understand what their needs are, not what they came, not what they came, not what they wanted, but what their actual needs were. And once you know what their actual needs are, then it's your ethical duty to at least try to sell them the gallon of water with an extra backpack for an extra gallon because this person's got 12 miles to go and they could die mm-hmm. on that way. And how would you feel if you sold them eight ounces of water and they died because they weren't hydrated enough? What a great example. That is such a really good example because you are meeting the customer with what their needs are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And if they say, no, that's fine. You still sell them the eight ounces of water. Something's better than nothing. But I believe it's your ethical duty to at least try, right? At least try to give them what they need, not just what they want. Yeah, I love that. Um, I was on a, this is a weird example, but we're renewing our mortgage right now. And I was on the phone just getting some finalized details. And the person said to me, how old are you? And I said, over 50. So, and she said, oh, well, then you qualify for one of those buttons that we set up with the system. So if you fall at home, that we can get you this service and what, I don't even know what it's called. doesn't matter. And I was like, I actually just really climbed up my mortgage. And she said, but no, because of your age, like, and then she went to this whole spiel. I couldn't even get a word in. And I'm like, yeah, no, this is not like why I'm calling. I cut in three times. And finally, she says, no, ma'am, you don't understand. It's free today with the plan. I'm like, I didn't call for this. (laughs) And that's where it's interesting. I think sometimes people get so caught up in scripts when they're reading or when they're trying, when they're in a sales conversation that they don't ask questions. Right. Right. Yeah. And and I think that's really important to the asking of the questions part, right? Because then you'll understand the actual need. Like, sure, maybe you don't need it because I, I know you and you're pretty active. You're pretty agile. I, I, I don't see you falling anytime soon, right? No. So that might've been not what you needed, but with some question asking, there might've been something else that you needed that she has and she just didn't take the time to dig. Right. No. I've never heard of a mortgage company that sells these life alert products. Yeah. Right? At the same time, I have to, I have to say that. That's weird. I literally have my phone. I'm like, what did I call? I got a number <laughs> what did I call? And I'm looking at it going, this is the bank, right? And she's yeah. yes, but because of your age bracket, you qualify for this. I'm like, I don't want it. It's not what I'm asking for. Right. So it was just such a bizarre thing to me. It was such a bizarre thing. And I think that's the thing that sets in motion some really poor um, yeah. ideas about sales. Right. And then there's no service in that point, right? Like that was right. absolutely ridiculous service. But it's interesting because when I've gone to buy a car, there've been times where I've bought a car and like I've had a phenomenal service. I've actually paid a little bit more for something sure. when the service is good. And yeah. that's the connection piece. Right. Absolutely. And to be fair, if she asked the right line of questions, she might've gotten you to take it for free because it is free. Mm-hmm. Like realistically, it is free. So with the right line of questionings, it's possible that you might've just taken it. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, no it's a very interesting conversation. I was like yeah. thinking I had called somewhere else that I didn't have a clue what was going on. Yeah. So, That's strange. Uh, I've, I've literally never, I've, I worked in real estate for a while. I sold real estate for quite a few years and I've never in my life ever come across something like this. I don't know. Uh, you know what? We're still, we're still in this pandemic here. So maybe we're like, there's other ways they're being resourceful trying to come up with something. I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. It's so bizarre. My only thought is that she, she has a second thing that she's selling the actual agent. Right. Like, and it's like, she has not, it has nothing to do with the bank, but, but uh, she's like part of an MLM that does something or something like that. It's yeah, like my only it other, could be. yeah. It's interesting. It just creates such a stir in people. And then like, I recognize sales are part of all business. And if you yep. do it, I've actually really reframed a lot of thinking from even some of our first conversations and it's part of business and you're trying to provide the best service right. to the client for what they need. So I've reframed a lot, but those are the moments where it stirs up something that, you know, if you haven't done some work around sales that triggers so much, right. It's just, yeah. it just comes across the wrong way. Yeah. I, but I actually, I love those calls though for me personally, because I flipped a couple of those people into my clients. Have you really? <laughs> yes. I, I, I call that I call that move the reverse sale. I've done it quite a few times actually. And That's I, hilarious. I call it the reverse sale where someone tries to sell me and I end up selling them. <laughs> me, I just my fiery redhead, I end up like yelling at the yeah. person on the phone. So yes, yeah. definitely what I do. So your health now is good. Have you had any issues? Do you have like is we passed what they originally gave you? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so my health is okay. I mean, I feel healthy. There's a few things that probably don't work as well as some other people's. Like I have, um, you know, with my kidneys, um, the average person loses between 150 to 200 milligrams of protein per day through their urine. I lose about 400 a day, which is about double the average. Um, but, but that's 400 at my worst, I was losing 11,000. Oh, I can't uh, imagine. which I don't even know what that is a multiple of, but it's, it's a big amount. So, um, so yeah. So is there some, uh, leftover damage from the kidneys? Like probably, but, but it's, it's been, uh, that, that 400 number has been the same since I was 15 years old. So it's like 20 something years now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still missing the lung obviously. So, uh, so that's, uh, um, uh, not ideal, but, uh, I'm never getting it back, uh, anytime soon. No. And did, you mentioned something on our other podcast, which I thought was fascinating. Did they not do a lung function test or a capacity? Yeah. So I, I did a, a lung function test and I don't remember exact numbers, but one of the numbers I had was I had 127% capacity of other people for one of the tests. And my total lung function capacity was at 95% of somebody who's normally my age with just one and a third of a lung. Yeah. So I, I'm pretty, pretty happy about that one. Yeah. It's amazing to me. I think the body is an unbelievable thing because it it's how it can change, heal and modify in very yeah. short periods of time is unreal. Yeah, I, I agree. And it, there's just so much stuff that's coming out and down the pipe in technology that's going to make our bodies function even better. Really? Uh, yeah. Which I'm very excited about so much stuff. I can go off forever on this because it's, I love biotech. I love biotechnology. I, I have to say it is not my area of knowledge, but it fascinates me. Like yeah. I'm fascinated by it. Yeah. You've got to read this book called Lifespan uh, by David Sinclair. Okay. Lifespan by David Sinclair. That's an incredible book because he talks about, uh, you know, all the disease that we think about, like cardiac disease, cancer, things like that. He, he considers those the symptoms of the disease, not the actual the disease. Okay. And the actual disease itself is aging. And wow. he works out of MIT and Harvard and his entire thing is basically not necessarily to reverse the process of aging, but, but basically stop it. 
right? So that that like we're not we don't have this like slow and steady decline. He talks like it's very very tech, it's pretty technical, mm-hmm. but he talks all about how like each individual DNA strand works, how like something called sirtuins work, how some how RNA works, um, how telomeres work, which is like something that sits at the end of our DNA. Yep. And uh, he talks about all this stuff, and uh, he he talks about his protocol that he puts people through. He actually had a woman reverse menopause accidentally. Um, Are you serious? Yeah, he, one of his uh, he talks about it in the book, but somebody uh, he put this person on a on a regimen, and uh, one of his uh, uh, like his associate student helper people, and uh, he gave his mom uh, the regimen, and he called he called Dave Sinclair freaking out one day. He's like, something's wrong with my mom. He's like, she's bleeding. And he's like, where? And obviously there. And he's yeah. like. Okay, well, go check. This could be some other thing, right? Because I forgot there's some other diseases that are bad mm-hmm. when that's bleeding. And, uh, you know, the mother was in her 50s at the time. And when they brought her to the gynecologist, all the doctors and everything like that, they're like, this is menstruation. <laughs> like, this is what it is. But she's like, I've, I went through menopause like eight years ago. Wow. <laughs> and, and then that was like a breakthrough for David Sinclair too, because then he's like, well, now we have to re- start to rethink reproduction. And we have to rethink exactly what we think about why we menstruate, why we don't menstruate. Not obviously not me when I say we, but humans, us as humans, yeah. <laughs> um, which is really, really fascinating stuff. That is really fascinating. I it yeah. just, I, I find all of that very fascinating. Now you are, you spoke earlier, but you're very, um, you love NLP. Tell us yes. about what NLP is and yeah. how you have used it for yourself and in your business. That's, that's a, Good question. A very loaded question too, because NLP, you know, there's so many people who like don't, there's, there's a lot of NLP practitioners I know who don't know how to define NLP, mm-hmm. right? Because, and and that's a, that's a big, I don't know if it's a big problem or what it is. The way I like to describe it, because I love analogies, I think analogies are what help people understand things, mm-hmm. is I think of NLP as the MMA of therapies, right? Ooh. Because what it is, is like NLP the original founders, uh, uh, John Grinder and Michael, um, oh, no, I'm blanking on his name, John Grinder, Richard Bandler and John Grinder, right? Those are the names of the founders. And what they did was, is that they looked, they realized that there were a lot of therapists who just, for lack of a better word, sucked, right? Like they would have the patients for years and years and years and nothing would change, right? They have the same problem and just, just collecting money from the same people for years. But there were a few people, right? Uh, Fritz Perls. Milton Erickson, Virginia Satir, and a few others where you could go to them with something and they've had it handled one, two, three, four sessions. It's done. And you're out of their office for good. And so what they did was they started looking at these people and say, so what are these people doing that's different from everybody else, Mm -hmm. but that's kind of the same with each other and how can we model it? And so what they did is they took basically the best of the best and they combined it into this thing called NLP. Which is why I like to ref- I call it like the MMA of therapies, um, because they kind of blended all these things together uh, into something that that works. And what I love about it is it's it's some it most of the things are things that can work very fast. You know, it's not about coming into uh, if someone's dealing with a trauma. You know, it's not about coming into my office to talk about it for, you know, six months. Mm-hmm. Right. It's about dealing with this one trauma that's handling one or two sessions maximum, get it through, get it in and get it out. And that's uh, it's really powerful stuff. You know, um, you asked me how I use it in my life. To be honest, when, when I first started getting into NLP, I used it uh, mostly in my sales career. Mm-hmm. So I used it mostly to, uh, you know, I've, I've uh, uh, my first job, like quote unquote job, right, where I got like a paycheck and all that mm-hmm. stuff yeah. uh, after after I stopped throwing raves was at a, a health club, uh, 24 hour fitness. And 
you know, I stepped into this company never having a job in my entire life, never actually selling anything to somebody other than like my own raves that I was throwing at the time, but I never actually sat in front of somebody selling. And with, but I've been studying NLP for probably a year at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just with one, that one year of studying NLP, uh, within my second or third month, I can't remember which month it was, month two or month three, I was in the top 10 out of 700 sales agents uh, okay. in our district. So you were obviously on to, like, you were obviously on to something that was working. Yeah. And then I just, and and I stayed there always, right? And no matter what kind of job or position I went into, I always got to the top very, very fast because I understood the psychological mechanism that go behind it, whether it was my Korean sales or when I was playing poker, same mm-hmm. thing. I moved up pretty fast in poker as well because I understood the behavioral patterns that people people are taking. Um, and uh, now today, I use it in my coaching practice all, all, all day long, uh, uh, helping other people to understand these skills, understand these practices, so that they can get their their products and their services out to other people. And, and honestly, like the way I think about NLP too is because some with, with um, <sighs> some crowds, it has a, a I don't want to say it has a bad rap. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but if if you look at things like dark psychology, and you look at the uh, uh, some people call it the dark arts, dark psychology, uh, there's a lot of NLP based stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, NLP is not new, right? NLP yeah. just takes stuff that other therapists are already using it, and they just rebranded the stuff, put it together as NLP, just like MMA or UFC took you know jujitsu and they took uh you know muay thai and karate and all these things and came up with mma right so so it's not like this thing itself is bad but it has some i know some circles think it's bad because it's used in things like dark psychology uh most con men are, are going to be trained in something uh if not nlp something nlp ish mm-hmm. um but uh the thing is the way i think about it, it's like very much like a hammer like a tool like a hammer can be used to do great things. It can be used to build a house for habitats for humanity, right? It can be used to fix a wall. It can be used for all kinds of good stuff. It could also be used to bash somebody over the head with. Mm-hmm. And NLP is very much the same way, just like hypnosis is the same way, right? Hypnosis is used for a lot of good things. A lot of uh, a lot of big breakthroughs come through hypnosis. Like a hypnosis is great for cessation. Like if someone's an alcoholic, if they're smoking, drug addict, right? Hypnosis is great for that. But you also hear about the story of the, uh, I recently heard, uh, I think it was like a year or two ago, there was an attorney who was hypnotizing his clients and then raping them. Oh. <laughs> and, and then they would wake up and not remember any of it until one woman realized that something wasn't right. Like she felt yeah. weird in her, her vagina area and something just didn't feel right. So it's very much the same thing, right? Uh, um, so, but I think of it as like a tool and like what I really want to do is I want to get this tool in the hand of as many good people as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can they can go out and do good things in the world, right? Because it's just a tool, right? It's not it's not good, it's not bad. It's a tool. Well, and in the it, right hands, it does good. And how, exactly in the right hands and how it's being used. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. That's a great explanation. Thank you for all of that. Because you're right, it is something that is can be misused. Um, yeah. but I do think I just finished my certification and we did, yes, right. Yeah, in April, and we did it as a um, six months, but it was about that last, it was five days immersive mm-hmm. and it was, you could see, I can see how it was so transformational Sure. because I think back to in challenging times in my life, I've tried, I've gone to therapy, I've done, um, counseling, but I was the person that was like, I don't want to sit here for six months and talk. I want action. Right. Like I, I want action. I don't want to sit here and relive the same things without getting into movement. I'm very much like movement. How can we do this? Right. 
So that is one of the things I really like about what I've learned so far with NLP is just being able to help people with that transition to actually create change and not just, you know, write your gratitude, say positive things and think it. It's just not that simple. Right, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's what I love about NLP. And I like the thing, the thing I noticed about NLP that's different from uh, some other um, areas that I've studied is that NLP, it's good if like you just want to get past the problem, right? Like NLP says, hey, like, okay, I have this problem. Let's leave it over here on the side and just keep going. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, versus hypnosis is very good at like, well, I want to know what the actual problem is, right? And so that's that's like the difference. That's why I like to learn both. Because sometimes when I had my hypnotherapy practice, I had some people who wanted to know what was going on here, mm-hmm. uh, but then I had some people who just wanted to just leave it on the side and go past. And some and a lot of people, to be honest, wanted both, right? Yeah. So I would do a combination of both. I'll do some hypnosis to unpack it, and then we would just poof go on the other side and just uh, uh, use NLP to move past it afterwards. Yeah, and what I keep hearing over and over is like you are the living embodiment of continually learning. Like you are. Yes. That is how important it is for you because it's always adding more to your own tool, your own toolkit, what you do with your clients, and then learning to continue to better yourself yeah. so that you can provide more. Yeah. I forget. Um, did you did you do a certification or master prac? Um, it was a I'm not master prac. I am master, okay. I'm, yeah. No. Do they, do they teach thing. you do they teach you meta program work in that? Yes, we understand the basics of it and then we yeah. went yes. Yes, the different okay. submodalities and the different. Um, the so the meta program was like the meta program was like uh, the six levels of the psychology, where it starts at like mission, purpose at the top, then identity, beliefs and values, yes. skills, yes. right, all that stuff. Yes. So yes. that's where I get this like uh, this totem work from, right? When I tell you about my shut off, shut off, yes, turn on, turn off stuff. That's all aligned with my meta program, right? So I have I have several meta programs that I've programmed for different personalities that I need to have, right? Wow. Because you know, the second, you know, the, uh, after you have your mission, I call it mission and purpose. Sometimes something call it spiritual, whatever. Right. But I call it mission and purpose at the top, but then right underneath that, the second level down is the identity level, mm-hmm. right. Then everything from identity down, uh, everything from there flows down. So what I did is uh, what I, I create the meta program and I have my higher level mission at the very, very top. But then when it comes to identity, I've programmed three or four different identity levels, ident- identity level people that I am. Wow. And then, then everything funnels down after that. And I don't know if you guys learned a process called alignment of neurological levels. Um, but it's something where you, where you take yourself, uh, it's a physical, it's more of like a physical thing. So you walk up and down this line and you go through each of the levels and you kind of ingrain that identity inside of you. And so I do each of these processes and then I give myself a totem for each of those people. And so once that's ingrained in me, when I put this, like, this is my coach George Wang totem. And when I put this on coach George Wang is on. Oh, that is, so I love that. I love everything that you shared there because I think this is the thing is that you're extremely intentional about yeah. what you're doing, how you show up and what that looks yeah. like as opposed yeah. to just, yeah, jumping in and out. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's really important because I think the so the, like the biggest problem I think that people have and, um, you know, this thing is called own your choices, own your life, mm-hmm. right? So the biggest problem I think that uh, a big problem that people have is that the choices they make as one person are not the same as they would make in somewhere else. And what happens is when you have one identity making choices for somebody else. And the thing is like people, you know, like whatever, like I think everybody has multiple personality disorder, to be honest, because we all have different personalities. Like I'm clearly not going to be speaking to you, Marsha, at this very moment, the same way that I'm going to be speaking to my wife, let's say at like 930 tonight, right? It's going to be very, very, very different. (laughs) It's a a very, very different persona, a very, very different person I have to be. But what if they blended? That would be weird. Right. What if I started talking to you? Hey, baby, how you doing right now? Right. Like, that would just be 
<laughs> not the right context for no, this for this right not. or yeah. if i'm at night at 9 30 at night and we're getting in bed i'm like hey great like i don't know like, <laughs> yelling, like i'm yelling into a podcast microphone it doesn't make sense right yeah. but what happens is people have certain identities bleed into other areas so a very good example is somebody goes off to work and they have a stressful day right they carry that lag with them right they carry it with them and it drags with them into their home and then they start to behave like they do at work, like they do at home. Mm-hmm. Great example is like an attorney, right? Attorney I worked yes. at one point. He was a um, trial attorney, um, ADA actually, assistant district attorney. I'm not going to say where or anything, but he's an ADA. And uh, 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 he loved being in the courtroom. He loved drilling people and asking them questions, just really, really giving them the second degree and just drilling them. But what happened is that identity bled into his home life. And then he would come home and then interrogate his wife too, interrogate his kids, mm-hmm. right? Because the identities weren't split off. So we did this exact thing where we created a couple of different identities and we taught him what we did the neurological levels with him and taught him ways to turn it on and turn it off. And that actually saved his marriage because they were not doing well. And I mean, he loved his wife. He loved his wife, mm-hmm. right? He just didn't know what he was doing wrong. And it was because these identities started to bleed together. And that's why I think you have to be intentional about turning on which identities you want where and turning them off when you don't want them. What a great example. Honestly, it just, you made me even think of like, that's a great example because as an attorney, it would be like, he has to be in a certain persona right. in his job, right? He has right. to be. Um, but it makes me think of how even now, like even now, if you are going to work and you are coming home and work is very stressful, you're coming home to kids, we're in the middle of pandemic, we've got all these things happening, that if you, to find ways to separate it out mm-hmm. and create different identities to be able to keep it separate because yep. there are times, honestly, there are times where it would be like, my husband would say something and I'd be like, well, like, I mean, not at the office, like <laughs> I don't work for you. Like it's just, <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work. But then I would do the same thing and it would be yeah. like, okay, well, I need that to shut down because that's not how I yeah. need to be able to handle the same, this different situation. Yeah. So you're making me think so much. And I love, I want actually, ironically, the next question I wanted to ask you was what does ownership mean to you? And has that changed throughout your life? Like, That's an interesting question. What does ownership mean to me? Mm-hmm. I think to me, ownership means responsibility. And what I mean, I guess what I mean by that is sometimes things aren't your fault, right? Like it's not my fault that I got you know, a, a, a tumor on my lung or a kidney disease. Right. It's not the world's fault either. I know some people love to play victimhood, right? They're like, oh, the world, the universe, God has done me wrong because I have this problem. I have this disease, yada, yada, yada. It's not like we're just, we're just, we're just a statistical anomaly. That's it, right? It has to happen to somebody. I just happen to draw the lucky stick here. Yep. But what to me, ownership is being responsible for whatever happens regardless of my life. And I think that is the big thing for me. I think that's that's what ownership for me means for me is being responsible. It doesn't mean it's my fault. It doesn't mean like, you know, I'm to blame or somebody else to blame. Sometimes I am a fault, sometimes I'm not, but that doesn't really doesn't matter. Or it yeah. doesn't matter. Somebody somebody hits somebody somebody's car hits me and am I pissed off? Sure. Right? I'm a little bit pissed off in the moment. Um but regardless of how I feel, it's not necessarily their fault, it's not my fault, but I've got to take responsibility for getting it fixed. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that's uh 
to be honest, a little bit lacking these days, in uh, especially in my generation. And if you're listening, you're part of my generation. I'm millennial. Don't hate me, but it's a big problem we have. Like in, with the millennials, is yes. uh, people don't take enough responsibility for our actions. And I lo- I love what Gary Vee says because he always talks about how like the boomers and everyone are like blaming like you know millennials are like this, millennials are like that, millennials are like this. And he's like, dude, do you realize you raised them? I right. <laughs> And, uh, um, yeah, so it's, and I'm, I'm part of that group, you know, I'm part of the group where, um, my mom raised me that way. She raised me the same way as, uh, and I don't blame my mom, by the way, like just say something, right. I don't blame her. She's not a fault, but I know that she raised me the same way of some of the millennials that I'm thinking about in the same way, you know, being overly babied, getting everything taken care for us. Right. Uh, luckily, I never got a participation award, but I think that's like the worst thing in the world to get like the participation <laughs> award. When I saw that, when that first started coming out, I was like, what, what, yeah. what are we doing? And yeah. it, it's, it's really tricky yeah. because we grew up with that. Like that just didn't happen. I am a little bit older than you, but we didn't have that. Um, but right. when I saw that come out and then it was a case that everybody has to win. And I'm like, Ew, yeah. I, yes. Yeah. Cause that's not how life happens, right? Once you, once no. you're out, once you're done with college, that's not how life works. And that's the problem. I think we have a generation that's just, you know, some people are, are legitimately prepared. I have to say some people are legitimately prepared, but a lot of people are not mm-hmm. because they didn't have to go through hard things. My mom loved, I'm not loved, but she was very accepting of me quitting something. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I had a bad year in baseball. She would let me leave mid season. No problem. Right. I had a bad year. I didn't like this. She let me quit. No problem. I didn't like piano, which I still don't like, but it's whatever. Right. She still let me quit. No problem. Uh, versus versus making me just like stick through it and push me through it. So I developed that muscle of like this gumption muscle, right? Just sticking through it and again, getting through it. But I just learned the word gumption for the first time, like two weeks ago. So like, I, I finally got to use it once. <laughs> 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 oh my goodness. I Okay. So that's a really great example. And I think that, that I, I love how you framed that about being responsible, regardless of where you are in life and what has happened because to me, when we stay as a victim, we are waiting for someone else to fix it, to right. come along. There's no ownership that's there. And I mean, I think, you no, know, honestly, we've all spent time. There's, there's been times in our lives where we've all been in that victim seat waiting for someone right. else to change our circumstances. But then we also are not owning and using our own personal power to create change. Right. Yeah. What I love actually is on that note is I love Tony, what Tony Robbins said, because he says pain is inevitable right? Pain is going to happen no matter what. We cannot avoid pain. Suffering is a choice. Yeah. Victimhood, suffering, that is a choice. Yes. Right? Being locked in there. And this is, this is about owning your own choices. And if someone's going to live in this victimhood mentality, that's a choice. Mm-hmm. That is something we're choosing to do. Um, that's part of the reason why I hate singles groups, to be honest. I hate single. I was single for a while and I was going to this church in Vegas and they're like, oh, you want to join our singles group? And I said, no. I said, why not? It's because you're all still single, right? Like, I don't want to be part of your group. <laughs> like, like you guys are going to talk about how, how it is to get single. Like, I, that's exactly what I don't want to be, right? I'd rather be part of the group that's like, let's find a date so we can leave this group group. Yes. Oh, my God. That's awesome. So it's about focusing on where you're going and what you yes. want to do, not necessarily where you are. Right. Exactly. Oh, I, would you say that, I mean, for me personally, Tony Robbins, honestly, was a big, a big mentor in my life. Never met him. Never. I've actually been face to face with him when I was in front row of, of an event when he came to Toronto and it's like, he is big man. He's a a really big man. 
Yes. Um, but I would say he, for me, he was very instrumental in the early years when I was creating change. I, there wasn't even podcasts. There wasn't a whole, I was doing some reading, but him, his work on YouTube, I would literally repeat over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah, no, same thing. I, I I was introduced to him when I was uh, 19, so that was 19 years ago, and we didn't even have YouTube back then. Mm-hmm. So I had to like, I literally bought his cassette. This is like how I had to, I bought his cassette programs and I put it into a Walkman, which I know you know what it is. Some I people do don't. know what it is. Yes, I do. But, but I had a Walkman that I was playing his tapes in uh, back in the day. And like, I forgot what year it was, like 2000, 2001, like Walkmans are still kind of a thing. Because like Walkmans are better than Discmans because Discmans skipped. Oh, they are. So, they were awful. Yeah, yeah, so I preferred using the Walkman uh, versus the Discman, uh, even though um, even though the technology is a little bit older, but uh, but I preferred the Walkman. So yeah, I had his tapes and I was listening to like I would listen to them over and over again. Him was very influential. Uh, Zig Ziglar was very influential for me in my uh, early years. I got to see him maybe like two years before he passed away. Oh wow, um, which was great. Uh, Jim Rohn was another one who was very inf- instrumental for me when I was uh, when I was young. Actually, all three of those guys, I think. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I, I mean, I many times I'll, people will say, "Well, I can't afford coaching. I can't afford this." I'm like, there's still so much free resources out there. Yeah. Like, if you really want to create the change, especially now, you can find a podcast on anything you want to learn. Right. You can find audiobooks. You can find books. There's lots of things available. So I think that change is something we're all capable of creating when yeah. we decide that we want to. And that's exactly it, because the person who says that is the person who's not owning their choices because they're choosing to not find the information. They're choosing to give themselves an excuse. And if that's the choice that someone's going to make, then they've got to live with the results. They have to be responsible for the results that are going to come with it. Yes. So good. So good. I love what you just said. All right. So can you tell me what is the impact you would like to personally create in this world? Yeah, it's a, that's a big question because there's so much I want to do. I'm one of those people that has like a million ideas. I, I have uh, that does not surprise me at all. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. <laughs> yeah. So I, I really had to like dial this down and, and focus a little bit more. One of the biggest things I really do want to help people with is I really, really want to be able to help people communicate with other human beings. And right now I'm doing it in the context of sales and marketing. Um Another area that's been a big focus of mine, and I don't, I don't have any programs with this, and I don't particularly coach on this uh, in a group atmosphere or anything like that. But working one on one, what I've worked a lot with people is in their personal relationships, uh, because the skill set is basically the same, right? Communicating with uh, in the sales context. To be honest, like I, I, I have a big belief that sales skills are just good communication skills, right? Like if you're a good salesperson, that means you're just going to come off as a good communicator and get somebody else on board with you. Um, whether it's, uh, um, you know, um, selling them a product or whether or not you're trying to work out a relationship issue, right? Like it it's all starts from the same thing. First, I have to understand the other person's needs, right? So like, you know, a common thing in a relationship is like people are just focused on their own needs, right? That's that like lower level of love, right? The very, very bottom level of love where it's more of like the, the we call it the selfish love mm-hmm. uh, because there's four levels of love that we talk about. And that's like this uh, selfish love. Uh, versus work, working like with what they need first. And you can't do that unless you ask, right? You have to have a conversation with them, ask them what they want, ask them what they need. And then your job then is to try to service that need, right? Just like a salesperson would, right? I have to ask you what you need and I have to try to fulfill that need for you. Uh, in a sales context, sometimes I might not be able to, then I'll have to refer you to somebody else. Hopefully in a relationship, you could fulfill that need and you don't have to refer them out to somebody else. That's the goal. Yes. <laughs> 
But, uh, uh, but, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's all about communication for me. I really, really want to help people just communicate better in the world because I also believe that when your communication gets better, your relationships get better with your customers, your friends, your you know lovers, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And then your life is enriched because I like money. Don't get me wrong. Like I have nothing against money. I actually like the stuff. I like the stuff that it buys for me. I like, you know, it's, you know, between having money and not having money, I'd prefer to have it. Exactly. I'd much rather prefer to have it, but I'm also not going to die with it. Right? I'm not going to die with it. I'm going to die and give it to somebody else realistically. right? But when I'm on my deathbed, I'm going to think back very much about the relationships I had with people, the connections I made with people. And I think that's what I'm going to remember the most. Now, don't get me wrong. Money is a big fuel for that because money could make those relationships more fun. right? Like you can have more moments with people. I don't think we actually remember most things in our lives, but we remember very big moments and with extra money, you can create more of the moments. With extra money, I can take my wife on a trip to Rome, which we're yeah. going to remember, right? With extra money, we can go skydiving, which we'll remember. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to remember what I had for dinner last night or the night before that or the night before that when I die, but I am going to remember the skydiving trip. I will remember the trip to Rome. Yeah. I love all of that. And I think it's so powerful right now because I think of, how, again, I go back to this past year. And so many different relationships have uh, that I've met people who have their relationship has fallen apart. Um, mm-hmm. For some of them, the ones that I know personally, it's like, it was already on its way there. Like it was this year just brought things to the surface, yeah. but it's interesting. If you want, like we're going to be celebrating our 28 years this year. Congratulations. Okay? Thank you. And it's funny because um, certainly it's never, it's not always easy, not any questions at all, but it's people ask all the time, how, like, how, what are some of the things that you do? And you just said one of the things there is that, you know, ask questions. Like I ask questions. Don't like when you're, you know, just take your, take your face off your phone sometimes and actually have a conversation with your spouse. It's just, it's just a really, there's the simplest things, but I can tell you things are much better with us when we do the simple things. Did you guys have regular date nights your whole life? Um, yes, except for this past year. Yes. Right, I would say. Right. It's interesting because you know um, my story. And I mean, yeah. we, I would say probably when things first started to really get difficult with yeah. our family, yeah. we yeah. were working with a counselor at that time who worked with relationships and not like, right. and it, he was fantastic. And he's like, start now and go out on date night. And I remember going, right. did you not hear what's going on in our house? Like, I, I, <laughs> I, And it was such a foreign thing to me. And that was some of the best thing. That was the best advice we ever had because we started committing to once a week going, no matter what was happening. Right. And that helped us to be able to communicate when things got really difficult. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's the one thing I hear. I, I love interviewing people who've been like, uh, uh, when I say that, I don't mean on podcasts, we're just talking to people who've been like yeah. in relationships, but like loving relationships for a long time. Yes. And the one thing I hear a lot is uh, make sure you always have a date night once a week. Make sure no matter what's going on, you have a date night. That's just the two of you. Like, it doesn't have to be expensive. Doesn't be crazy. Go no. to a picnic. Doesn't matter. But just something, you know. We used to go to a coffee shop for a long time. Like literally, yeah. just like little things and sit for a first yeah. period of time. But those those relationships are work, and it comes really starts with better communication. The other thing I always find is is that it's not expecting someone else to fulfill something for me, yeah. but me being, I, yes. I'm a big Gandhi quote. It's like, be the change you want to see. Yeah. <laughs> and so if I expect, like, if I would love to see more of that, then where can I be more of that? 
Yeah, I love what you're saying, Ashley, because that, that's exactly what we're talking about with the different levels of love. Can I go through that really quickly? Like those four yes, levels please of love? Do. Please do. Yeah, because like, like there's four levels of love that I think are really, really important to go through. And what you're talking about is the level three level of love, which is probably where most people stop, uh, which is fine, right? Because at level one, that's what we call childish love. And that's like the me, me, me. What can I get out of this? What can I get out of this, right? And that's where a lot of people get stuck. And that's very, very selfish, right? Like, what can I get out of this? And a lot of people get stuck there. Level two is slightly better, where I think of it as transactional love. Meaning it's like, you meet me 50% and I'll meet you 50%. But if you don't do your part, I don't do my part, right? So it's very, very transactional. And this love is based on this transaction. So if you don't do your part, that means I'm going to pull back, right? And then if everyone ever slips up, then the relationship is going to fall apart. And I think a lot of people actually get stuck in this part too. Right? A lot of couples I mean get stuck in this. Well, he's not doing this, so I'm not going to do this for him. Or she's not Very doing this. conditional. Conditional. Yeah. Like you don't, I don't. Then that's right. okay. Exactly. And that's that level two transactional level where a lot of people get stuck, right? Mm -hmm. Level three for an intimate relationship is probably where you want to be at. And that's the type of love where you're committed. So level three love is like, I'm going to give you 100% regardless of what you give me. I don't care what you give me. I'm going to give you 100%, 100%. And then the other person agrees too. I don't care what you give me. I'm also going to give you 100%. I don't care. Whatever it is, I'm going to give you 100%. And that's where it's all about, right? It's more about the giving than what you're going to get. It's not transactional. It's like, I don't care because people are going to mess up, right? Of people course. are going to mess up, right? Like ideally, you don't forget my birthday, but you might. Right. You might forget an anniversary, like maybe stuff's going on. So this person might mess up. But if you start to do this transactional thing, well, if you forget this, I'm going to forget about your birthday. You forget about anniversary. I'm going to forget about Christmas. Like, how do you forget about Christmas? Can't happen. Right. Like you remember your entire life when you're up to your 17, but all of a sudden you forget one year. Like can't happen. Right. Yes. So, so that's the third level of it. And the fourth level of love is sacrificial love where almost none of us get to, right? That's like the uh, Mother Teresa's, the Gandhi's that you're talking about right now, the MLK's, uh, Jesus Christ. Who where like the love is so strong that their own needs just completely go out the window. And uh, uh they just, you know, just let go of everything and then they're just they're wholly focused on other people. And that's most people are not gonna get there, right? Mm -hmm. uh, especially in an intimate relationship, but level three is where you want to shoot for. I love that. thank you so much for sharing that. I think that that is so important. And I've never had anybody talk about that on the show. Yeah. So I love that because I think yeah. it's it. it the more we can improve our own relationships, the more our own life changes. The other thing I find, and, and another question people have asked is how, like, how do you make it work? And I'm like, I promise you, if we don't each do our own work, you can't take two broken parts and make right. it work. It just, right. it's that, I don't know why people think that that's like fairy yeah. tale stuff. It doesn't work like that. And if we're both doing the things that we need to be our best version, then this is better. Right. Agreed. hundred percent, a hundred, hundred percent. I, I, uh, uh, totally agree with you on that. And you're right. Cause when, when you multiply two fractions, you get a smaller fraction. Yes. It's a great example. It's a great, <laughs> I mean, I'm an analogy too. I'm such an analogy. So I love, I love your way of thinking <laughs> it and how you're sharing it. We'll see what everyone else is thinking, but I do. I, love the <laughs> I get it. It's all good. It's all good. I have loved all of this conversation. You have given us so many different perspectives and things to share. So I thank you so much for everything that you have shared today. Honestly, I love it. Um, where do you hang out the most? I hang out uh, in my home on Instagram. Yes, no, but uh, yes, if people, if they want to find me, uh, they can always find me on Instagram at Coach George Wang. Mm -hmm. And I also have my own podcast. Uh, you can find the podcast at Money, Love, and Freedom. So you 
You can search uh, any podcast app, Money, Love, and Freedom, or you can just go to moneyloveandfreedom.com and it'll shoot you over to where you need to go. Awesome. I'll make sure everything's in the show notes. I have one last question to ask you is what lesson in life are you most grateful for? Well, that's a good one. What lesson in life am I most grateful for? So for me personally, if I really think about it, the lesson, the for me, the most lesson I'm most grateful for is dealing with my belief about time. Because I used to have, because of my past experience with my lung and my lung tumor, my grandmother dying from lung cancer, my uncle dying from lung cancer, all before like in the 50s, I always thought that life was going to be short. And that was a very, very big limiting belief I had for a very, very long time. And uh, I did some NLP work on myself, had my own coach for some time. And then we did some, some change processes. And then I reframed the whole thing where now I don't care. Like the life lesson I learned is it doesn't matter how long you're here for, how much time you have, but what matters is what you do with the time. Like, what are you actually doing with the time? Are you even present? Like, what's the point of getting to your 90? And if you're distracted the whole time, you don't remember anything. There's really no point in that. None, none. So number, it really is just a number then. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'd still prefer to be, you know, as far away as possible. I'm not saying, you know, um, ideally, like, that's why I I do a lot of weird stuff. I take a lot of interest, uh, like, quote unquote, anti-aging supplements to try to try to push that number as fast as possible. I want to live like a very, very vibrant life until I'm like, you know, 80, 90. Mm -hmm. And I want to die fast. I want like one year of disease and then die. I don't want to live my last 10 years on this downhill dealing with different diseases. I couldn't agree more. I honestly couldn't agree more. We actually were just talking about that the other day because my husband's very much a CrossFitter and he's been a master's athlete. And you're talking about, I'm like, you know, I'm proud of you for how much time you have still committed during all of this. And he said, you know, all of a sudden it's just a case now that I want to be able to be functional long, do the things I want to do. I want to be able to do more as I age. I don't want to be with family right. members who talk that, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm 70. I can't, I'm like, Oh, it's just, no, I don't want to be living like yeah. that. I want to be able to create as many opportunities as possible. Yeah. Okay. Read that book. Lifespan is fascinating. I love it. It's, you, I think you'll like it. I am book. definitely going to be looking into this one. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here today, George. I've loved the conversation. Thank you, Marsha. Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. If you love this episode, please submit a rating and review on iTunes and please share it with someone you think could benefit from hearing this message or this podcast. I love connecting and meeting you. So please screenshot the episode and tag me on social media or Instagram stories at Marsha Van W. And until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.